Back in the book of Jude this morning, continuing our verse-by-verse study there, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 16. Jude verses 14 through 16, the title of the message this morning is The Forecast for False Believers. The Forecast for False Believers in Jude 14 through 16. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Let's pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us, Lord. I ask you that you'll go with me this morning. Just move me out of the way, Lord. I ask that your Holy Spirit will speak through me to each and every one of us, Father. And press on our hearts what you have for us this morning, Lord. Father, we've been studying about these apostates, these false believers, Lord. I, Lord, I ask you this morning that you'll save people like that. I ask you that you'll pull them out of that stuff, Lord. Pull them out of that deception, Lord. And you'll turn their hearts truly towards you. And Lord, open their eyes to what your word really says and what your word really reveals about salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord. I ask you if anybody here this morning, Lord, is a false believer who's deceived into thinking they're okay, Father, I ask you that you'll snap them out of that deception, Lord. Let them realize that they need you before it's too late. And Father, I ask you that you'll go with every single one of us here who are true believers and you'll strengthen our faith in you, Lord, that you'll help us to contend for the faith, Lord. Contend for your holy word. Contend for the truth of who Jesus Christ is, Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you give us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The forecast for false believers. You know, some people say that the weatherman has the only profession where you get paid to lie every day. <laughs> right? Don't trust the weatherman is what they say. Some people say the weatherman and a politician are the only people who won't lose their jobs for lying. Well, sometimes that's true, right? Uh, the weatherman does the best he can to predict the weather. We know he's doing the best he can. Uh, even with all the latest technologies that they have at their disposal, many times they still get it wrong, right? I wish he'd have got it wrong a few, uh, about a week ago when all that snow came. But they get it wrong, even with all that technology. But I'm here to tell you this morning, here to remind you this morning, that there's somebody who never makes a wrong prediction. There's somebody who never gets it wrong, and that is the Lord God of the Holy Bible. The God of the Bible, the God of this universe has made thousands and thousands of prophecies within His Word and thousands of of them have been fulfilled right down to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. And you can rest assured this morning that the prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled that have been made in the Word of God, they're going to come to pass in God's perfect timing. They will happen. God never makes a wrong prediction. Jude previously in this book, pointed out that apostates, up in verse 4, he pointed out that apostates were long beforehand marked out for condemnation. God has told us that these false believers, these apostates, they will be condemned. 
And in these verses before us this morning, Jude, once again, as he often does, turns back to his Bible to tell us that once again. He turns back to his Bible and takes us all the way back to the very first prophecy given in the Holy Scriptures by the Holy Spirit through a man. Now the very first prophecy given in Scripture was Genesis 3.15. The Proto-Evangelium, the first giving of the Gospel. But that was given by God. The very first one given to us by a man we see talked about here this morning. In this prophecy... Jude reaffirms the truth that the forecast for false believers is certain judgment. It's going to happen. Judgment is coming. So the first thing I want us to see this morning is a foretold doom. A foretold doom. It's Enoch's ancient prophecy about judgment. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that's a very important phrase, by the way. I want you to remember that as we go along through this. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So to show us what's going to happen to false believers in the future, notice what Jude does here. He takes us back to what happened to false believers in the distant past. On this journey back to the past, Jude, he passes over many ages of apostasy. There's many other examples of apostasy and many other examples of false believers that Jude could have used back throughout history, but he passes over so many of them. He passed over the terrible apostasy of Israel uh, that led them into Babylonian captivity. He passes over the apostasy of the dark days during the time of the judges. He passed over the apostasy that caused the division of the ten tribes with King Jeroboam setting up all those idols that we talked about not long ago on Wednesday night. He passed over the apostasy of the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness and griped and complained and grumbled against God about nearly everything. He passed over the apostasy of Nimrod and the nations that turned against God. When God had told them to spread out, they came together and said, we'll make our own way to God. He passed over the apostasy even that climaxed in the Son of God being hung upon a cross. He passed over all that. And he went all the way back past the flood to the first great apostasy. Not the very first apostasy, but the first great apostasy that involved many people. He went all the way back to that first great apostasy when the sons of godly Seth decided they would go and do what they wanted to do and intermarry with the pagan women around them. That's what he goes back to. This is the example he goes to. When the world, Genesis tells us, was only wicked continually. He goes back to that day and age. And so Jude says that all those thousands of years ago, in verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also. All those generations ago, all those thousands of years ago, 
Enoch prophesied about these men. What men is he talking about? These men refers to these apostates, these false believers that we've been studying all along throughout the book of Jude. Jude pictured them, remember, and by way of summary, he pictured them as false visionaries, as filthy dreamers. He visioned them as people who tout spiritual authority. Uh, They act like they're real spiritual. They act like they're real religious, but there's really nothing to them. Uh, They go against what the Word of God says. The Bible says they revile authority. They don't uh, hold up the authority of the Word of God. They don't submit themselves to the authority of Jesus Christ. Uh, They don't submit themselves to any authority. They're their own authority. Jude says they're like brute beasts who behave by their carnal instincts. They just live for worldly immorality. They, they live to fulfill the desires of the flesh. They don't live to fulfill the desires of the Spirit. They don't live for God. Jude says they're like hidden reefs. And we talked about what that meant, that they're like rocks that are hidden just underneath the surface of the water that are ready to crush and crash and destroy the church and destroy true believers. He says they're like waterless clouds. We talked about what that meant. How a a good cloud, a true cloud, comes along and it gives rain and it produces fruit. But not not an apostate, not a false believer. They act like they're going to produce something, but they're phonies. He said they're like dead, uprooted trees. They're not connected to the source of spiritual life, so they produce no fruit. He said they're like the wild sea waves. They just stir up trouble. They stir up dissent. And he says they're like wandering stars headed for black, eternal darkness. They are people who have left their proper orbit, left their proper place, and their eternal destiny is the darkness of eternal hell. And so even before the flood, all the way back then, Enoch prophesied that the Lord would come to judge false believers like this. This is nothing new. This is not something we're just making up to contend with now as a contemporary church. That's not what's going on here. This has been going on since nearly the beginning of time. And the first thing Enoch tells us in this prophecy, notice, is this. Behold, the Lord comes. Behold, the Lord comes. This is a, really a twofold prophecy, and, and most prophecies are. This prophecy has an immediate fulfillment, and this prophecy has a future fulfillment. I believe Enoch is prophesying the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ before he even knew anything really about the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enoch, yes, is prophesying about the coming of judgment in his day and time, which is going to be a great flood, but Enoch is also prophesying about the Lord Jesus Christ coming again again to judge the living and the dead. Behold, the Lord comes. I want you to notice something about this phrase. The word comes here is in what is called the orist tense in the Greek. In other words, you could say it as the Lord came, is what you could say. You could phrase it like that. What he's saying here, Enoch, his vision was so convincing that he spoke of it as if the judgment had already taken place. And in God's eyes it has. Folks, you can mark it down. The Lord is coming again. When it says He's coming, He's going to come. And Jude says it's just as it had, or Enoch rather, says it's just as if it has already taken place. When Enoch originally proclaimed this prophecy, when he originally preached this message, you know what the people of his day did? They mocked him. They made fun of him. They said, Enoch, judgment's not coming. 
We've been living this way forever. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's, nothing's going to happen. And so they mocked him because he said judgment was coming. They also mocked Noah. They told Noah, man, it's never even rained. What makes you think it's going to come a flood? They mocked him. They made fun of him. And then when Peter and Jude here now again warn us that judgment is coming, when they remind us of Enoch's message about judgment that has came before, guess what people do? They scoff. They mock. They make fun of us. They laugh at us. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 shows us. It says, Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? You Christians have been saying that He's going to come for some 2,000 years, but He hadn't come yet. Where's the promise of His coming? But guess what? Judgment came in Enoch's day, just like God said it would, and judgment is coming again one day to the earth in the future, just like God said it would. It's going to happen. You can chisel it in stone. Judgment's coming. The reality of the matter is the very attitude of these scoffers prove that word of the Lord to be true. Because the prophets, the Lord Himself as well, the prophets, the apostles, they all said they'd scoff. And they all said they wouldn't believe. It's happening right before our very eyes. Just like it did in Enoch's day. Notice the second thing Enoch tells us that in this prophecy. He tells us that the Lord comes with ten thousands of His Saints, Listen, when Jesus Christ comes again, He's not coming alone. When Jesus Christ comes again, there's going to be some people and some beings coming with Him. He won't be alone. It says His saints are coming with Him. That's literally translated His holy ones are coming with Him. So who's coming back? Well, who are these holy ones? According to the Word of God, that includes... Believers, true believers who are saved, who have been raptured into heaven before He comes back at the second time, they're going to come back with Him again. According to Zechariah chapter 14, 5, Revelation 19, 14, Colossians 3, 4, 1 Thessalonians 3, 13, believers are going to return to this earth with Jesus Christ in His second coming. As a matter of fact, it says we're going to, be, we're going to come back riding on horses. It's going to be the first horse I've ever ridden. And I don't want to ride one before then, so don't try to talk me into it. Listen, Believers will come back in the clouds with the Lord Jesus Christ back to this earth again one day. But also, and more immediate to the context of what Jude is talking about, according to Jesus Christ, angels will also accompany, accompany Him in His second coming. And these angels are God's executioners. And they're coming to dole out this judgment that Enoch is talking about and that Jude is talking about. Jesus said at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't want to be a part of the crowd that will be seized by the holy angels and cast into eternal hell. You don't want to be a part of that crowd. You, we need to make sure and examine ourselves to make sure that Enoch's not talking about us, that Jude is not talking about us. It's going to be a scary thing to be incarcerated by one of God's angels and locked up in hell forever. And the third thing Enoch tells us in this prophecy is that the Lord comes to execute judgment. To execute judgment on all, it says. Now the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. 
And in John chapter 5, verse 22, it tells us who the judge is going to be. The Bible says God the Father has given all judgment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the judge. And Jesus will judge believers and unbelievers. Let's take a look at the judgments for just a moment. The Bible says Jesus will judge believers at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're not going to judge to see whether or not we're going to go to heaven or hell there. Our, our, our fate has already been sealed when we put our trust in Christ. We're saved for all eternity. We're sealed. What's going to be judged there is our works. Our works will be judged and reviewed to see whether or not they were really for, for the Lord Jesus Christ or whether they were out of selfish motives. And also, our status in the millennial kingdom will be set there. We'll have areas of responsibility in the Lord's millennial kingdom. And they'll be set there. Also, at His return, Jesus Christ is going to judge the lost. First of all, at His second coming, He'll judge the nations. Those who survive all those terrible judgments from the great tribulation that we talked about not long ago. If those people make it out alive through all that, the Bible says they'll be judged. There'll be a separation of the sheep and the goats. Some will enter into the millennial kingdom with the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have trusted Him. The others will not. The others will be cast into hell. That judgment, the Bible tells us, will take place at the valley of Jehoshaphat. In Jerusalem, Joel chapter 3, verse 2 and verse 12. And then, at the end of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that Jesus will judge those who follow Satan after his brief rebellion once he's led out of his imprisonment in the abyss. Many people will follow him once again. They'll be judged. And then finally... After the millennial reign of Christ, the Bible tells us Jesus will summon the lost, dead people of all the ages to the great white throne judgment. That's also called the resurrection of judgment. That's where the books are going to be opened and you're going to be judged by those books. You're going to be judged by the Word of God. And final sentencing is going to be doled out to all who have not put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And unbelievers, the Bible says, will be cast into the lake of fire for all Eternity, that is the second death. God's coming in judgment. And you can mark it down. Jude says at this judgment, Jesus will convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Folks, the ungodly are going to be exposed. This verb translated to convict, it says God, or the Jew says Jesus will convict all who are ungodly. That's translated to expose. It's also translated to rebuke or to prove guilty. In other words, Jesus Christ is going to show them their errors, to show them the error of their way, and they're going to be held responsible for that. Listen, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, the ungodly are going to be exposed, and they're going to be shown to be completely wrong in what they believed and what they were propagating and what they were teaching. All the harsh things and all the lies that were spoken about the Lord Jesus Christ by unbelievers and by atheists and by liberals and even by so-called Christians, they're going to be proven false in the judgment. Listen, they're not going to be able to appeal to their opinions 
They're not going to say, oh Lord, I, I thought this and I thought that. They're not going to be able to appeal to the popular culture. They're not going to be, they're not going to be able to say, well, everybody else was doing it. Everybody else thought we should do it this way. The world said we ought to go this way, Lord. They're not going to be able to appeal to that. They're not going to be able to appeal to godless government legislation. They're not going to say, oh, well, the government said it was a good thing to vote for homosexuality. The government said abortion was okay. They're not going to be able to appeal to that. They're not going to be able to appeal to their fake false Bible scholars and preachers that said, oh, the Bible's not really true. You don't have to believe everything the Bible says. Just take bits and pieces of it. They're not going to be able to appeal to any of that. All that's going to be proven to be wrong right before their eyes in the judgment. They'll have no excuses for not following the Word of God, which ironically is what they're going to be judged by. Folks, this is what we're going to be judged by. The true Word of God. Not what the culture says. Not what some liberal preacher says. Not what anybody else says. We're going to be judged by the Word of God. And so they'll be forced to bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But at that point, it'll be too late. Folks, if you're going to make it to heaven, if you're going to avoid this judgment, you need to name Him as King of kings and Lord of lords of your life right now while you're still alive. Because your chance could be over very quickly. So we see a foretold doom. This doom was prophesied thousands of years ago. Second, we see a foretold description. Jude further describes... These ones who are doomed. In verse 16, he says, These people are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Now, back up in verse 15, I don't know if you noticed, but Jude described these false believers as ungodly over and over again. He calls them ungodly four different times. He says God must punish these ungodly people because of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. So this repetition identifies to us the attitude of of an apostate, of a a false believer, of an ungodly person. Uh, They have a basic sinful attitude. They refuse to have a proper reverence and a proper fear for Almighty God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. And now here in verse 16, Jude fills us in on some of the details, more specific details about what these people actually do. How their ungodly behavior manifests itself. And I want you to notice this list of sins and this list of identifiers for these ungodly false believers is not what we might think it might be right off the bat. He doesn't list homosexuals. He doesn't list transsexuals. He doesn't list abortionists. He doesn't list all these things that we normally think of as horrible, gross sins. He lists grumblers, complainers, people who walk according to their own list, people who speak great swelling words. You notice that? And so we need to look at these things and really examine our own lives to see if this is our lifestyle. Do these things describe... The way we live, 24-7, 365, is this our lifestyle? Jude says they're grumblers. 
This word grumbler or grumble, it occurs only here in the New Testament. And it's really almost the same word that's used to describe the unbelieving Israelites who murmured against God. If you'll remember, the people of Israel were set free from slavery. And when they got into the wilderness, they began to murmur against God. Even though God provided them with every single thing they needed. Even though He provided for them miraculously with manna from heaven, with water. They still murmured. They grumbled, is what the word is. They grumbled against God. False believers... They tend to grumble against the truths of God. They grumble against the plan of God. And they grumble against the purpose of God. And so examine our our own lives. Do we grumble and murmur about having to come to the house of God? Do we grumble about having to volunteer to do something in church? Do we grumble about having to live for the the Lord out in the world? Do we grumble about these things all the time? That could be an identifier. That could be pointing to some bigger problem in our lives. Jude, or, yeah, Jude says they're complainers. This word means that these false believers are continuously discontent and dissatisfied with their life. Nothing ever pleases them. Nothing ever satisfies them in life. Why is that? Because they don't have the peace of God within them. They don't have that peace of the Holy Spirit within them that passes All understanding. They've not learned, like Paul says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, they've not learned to be content in whatever situation they find themselves in because they don't have Christ in them which gives them the strength to be content. And so they grumble and so they complain. Jude also says they walk according to their own lust. They wrongly, we've talked about all these things before, they wrongly use the grace of God as a license to sin. They don't strive for biblical holiness in their life. They approve of sexual immorality. They seek worldly gain rather than spiritual gain. They don't pursue the will of God in their lives. All they do is pursue worldliness. Jude says they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. They arrogantly puff themselves up with this elaborate, sophisticated church language. We've all met people like this, but they don't ever do anything the Word of God tells them to do. They don't ever live for the Lord. They're good at using uh, spiritual language to attract people, but they're devoid of the truth. They're devoid of the Spirit of God in their life. And yeah, they cite their authorities. They quote their philosophers. They promote the theories that they have, that they get from liberals, uh, all the while undermining the Holy Scriptures, all the while contradicting the Holy Scriptures. And then they turn around and they scorn and they scoff at much more sound scholarship, which actually disproves what they believe, disproves their theories. And why do they do that? Why do they mock and make fun of somebody who has a contradictory argument that proves their argument wrong? Because they don't have any evidence to prove you wrong. And so what do people like that do? They attack you. They attack you personally. They make fun of you. They often use emotionalism. They'll appeal to emotions instead of the truth. We see that all the time, especially in politics. And so they have these great swelling arguments and flattering words to try to gain an advantage, but there's no truth. 
And so Jude shows us that all these sins show us what these false believers look like in specific detail. And all these false believers, he's already told us, Enoch, he's pointed back to Enoch that told us they must be judged. And make no mistake about it, they will be. They will be judged. The Bible says that in the past, people such as this drowned in the flood, they fell dead in the wilderness, and they were destroyed by the destroyer. They will be judged. And Jude reminds us here also again, the words of Enoch. The Lord is coming to judge this type of person. He is coming to judge. Folks, judgment's coming. I know I've said it over and over again this morning, but I can't repeat it enough. Judgment is coming. The Son of Man will send forth His angels, the Bible says, and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment is coming. But I want you to notice something. In the midst of of this warning of divine judgment, we see a beautiful picture of God's saving grace. You remember I told you to remember that Enoch said, or that Jude said he was the seventh from Adam, right? That's very significant that he is referenced as the seventh from Adam. You see, the first six generations listed in Genesis chapter 5, where the genealogy leading to Enoch is located, the first six generations listed there emphasize the fact of death. Genesis 5.5, all the days of Adam uh, lived were 930 years and he died. Genesis 5.8, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Genesis 5.11, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. 5.14, all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. 5.17, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. And then Genesis 5.20, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. It's emphasizing death. It's appointed to man once to die. And after this, the judgment. But then, the seventh generation appears. And the seventh generation emphasizes rapture and life and triumph over death. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is a way to escape eternal death. There is a way to escape the second death. Genesis 5, 23 and 24, it comes to Enoch. And it says, all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die. Enoch didn't suffer death. Enoch is a beautiful picture of the rapture. He went to be with God. Why? Because he walked with God. I want to ask you something this morning. Are you walking with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He the Lord of your life? Because if, one of, if you are one of these days, you're going to be raptured up in the air to be with Him. And you won't have to worry about death. Not spiritual death. Not the second death. But it don't stop there. Remember, Enoch was a prophet. Enoch the prophet. He made this ancient prophecy. And the name he gave to his oldest son had very, very great significance. In Genesis 5.21, we see where Enoch lived 65 years 
and begot Methuselah. Now, what do we know about Methuselah? Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live, right? He lived longer than any other man. Methuselah was 187 years old when his son Lamech was born. Lamech was Noah's father. So Lamech was 182 when Noah was born. Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, right? Methuselah is Noah's grandfather. Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, was 369 years old when his grandson, Noah, was born. And then Genesis 5.31 tells us that Lamech, Noah's father, lived 777 years and then he died. So Noah's grandfather, Methuselah, the Bible tells us, lived 969 years and he died. So if we do a little math here, the Bible shows us that Methuselah outlived his son Lamech by five years. So Lamech, Noah's father, died, and then five years later, his grandfather Methuselah died. Say, well, big deal. What's the significance of this? The name Methuselah foretold the coming of the judgment that Enoch prophesied. It foretold the coming of judgment in his own day. You see, the name Methuselah literally means this. When he dies, it shall come. When he dies, what shall come? The great flood. The flood of judgment came. And after Methuselah died, guess what happened? God sent the judgment of the flood to destroy all the earth except for Noah and his family. Judgment came. Just like God prophesied through Enoch that it would. This is why Methuselah was the oldest man to ever live. You see, God was giving those people all the time they needed, more time than they needed, to repent and turn to Him for salvation. Methuselah. When He dies, it will come. Folks, this is a beautiful picture of the saving grace of Almighty God. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Folks, God is patient. God is long-suffering. But there's going to come a time when God stops waiting. When God stops giving you the opportunity to come to Him for salvation. He gave these people all these years, 969 years, the life of Methuselah to repent. He gave them 120 years of Noah building the ark where they could see that ark being built to repent. But they did not do it. And one day it was too late and judgment fell. I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have 120 years. If you live a long life, you may have 80 or 90. You may not have another day. Judgment is coming. Will you be ready? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? He wants everyone to repent and come to Him for salvation. Let's stand. Brother Scott, if you'll come, we'll have an invitation.